Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Life is full of change, isn't it? Full of transitions, and with those changes and transitions, there are so many emotions involved. Whether you are the senior in high school, where my high school is at, the senior in high school, you're probably excited for what is next. Excited that graduation is coming up. Excited for what the new opportunities are. Excited to get out of mom and dad's house. Like, like you're pumped about some of those things. But at the same time, maybe there's also a little bit of fear and nervousness of all of this new responsibility. Thinking also about being away from mom and dad and not having them close by. There's so many emotions involved there. Whatever the change is, there's, there's a ton of emotions involved. And we had our own transition as a family. When we came here, that was quite the change for our family. You see, my first time actually coming to Bible Center Church was our wedding. Kate's family had been coming here for quite a while, and so when our wedding hit, I thought, that's a nice church, those are nice people, that's just wonderful, but I thought I was leaving and not coming back. But God had other plans. I remember that we, I was a youth pastor up in Michigan at a couple different churches for about four years after we got married. And then um, after that, it was one of those that we, we started to realize, hey, something's just not right. And we were thinking, what if I could be a Bible teacher? What if I could work in a classroom and get to hang out with students all day long? I love teaching. I love building relationships with students. If something like that became available, that would be awesome. Well, next thing we know, we talked to Bible Center School, and I'm moving my family down to West Virginia. Now, it was a massive transition, and I was excited. Excited for the opportunity to be with students all the time. Excited to teach a lot. Excited for those summers as a teacher. Excited for, to be close to family. There's so many things that were, I was excited about this new opportunity, but I'd be lying to say if I was just excited. You see, I went to school to be a pastor, not a teacher. So all this like classroom management, grades, uh, um, behavior, like all of that stuff, I'm like, I have to figure that out very, very quickly. So the transition there was just massive for us, and we had all of these just kind of emotions going on. And I'll also say, too, leaving our friends from Michigan, just the sadness there. So much going on, so many different emotions, and I share that just because where we're at in our passage today in Acts 1, I feel like a lot of these different emotions are going on. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 1. As you're turning there, I'm just going to quickly recap to kind of share where we are in the story so we can see really that this is a transition. And through this, <laughs> through all the transition, we can trust God through the transition. That's what we're going to look at. So what we see is a couple weeks ago, we had Easter service. With Easter service, we celebrated on Good Friday, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Then we also celebrate he didn't stay dead, but he rose from the dead on Easter. And we can now go on mission with him. That was Easter. Then last week, Dr. John King did a fantastic job looking at some of the final conversations with different individuals. Well, today we're going to look at the very last conversation that Jesus had with his followers. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Acts 1, 1 through 3, and we're going to read this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he'd given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs and appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke is the writer of this book of Acts. He also wrote 
the Gospel of Luke. And this individual, Theophilus, probably kind of paid Luke to be able to write these two books. And if you would, you could almost take the Gospel of Luke and Acts and kind of slam them together. There's just a little bit of overlap between the two, but you could almost slam them together and make one big long book. And these first two verses talk about all that happened in Luke. Jesus' ministry and all that Jesus taught, and that's what he's referencing. And then he goes right into the suffering and resurrection of Christ. You see, he starts with this completed plan. Jesus Christ's ministry on earth is coming to an end. That's why we come to the ascension when Jesus Christ is taken up to the Father. He's finishing up his work here on earth. Philippians 2 talks about this. As Paul was encouraging the church of Philippi to think about other people, to focus on others and encourage others, he brings up how we need to be humble. And then he goes to the greatest example of humility ever in Jesus Christ. Listen as I read Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a humbling act that God Almighty sent his only son to come and live among us. And then he took it a step further to come and die for us and all creation to transform us to who we are supposed to be. What a humbling act that that is. And he rose from the dead, but now we're finishing this humbling act as he is taken back up to the Father, not to just kind of sit there and chill, but to take back up to the Father so that he can again rule with the Father. We see this completed plan. Luke's account of the ascension in the Gospel of Luke just states briefly what happened. As Jesus is talking to them, he was taken up into heaven, and their response is thanksgiving and worship. They're thinking through all that he did, and they cannot help but worship and thank God. I can see the followers thinking through the last month and then going on to thinking through the last year of how they were with the last few years that they were with Jesus. I can imagine Peter just thinking through, wow, that was so amazing when Jesus called me to step out of the boat and the power of God in that. I can think about Thomas just kicking himself over his doubt, but at the same time, so thankful for God's grace in that moment. I can see John, um, John the beloved disciple, thinking through and replaying conversations that he had with Christ, deep conversations because he was one of Jesus' closest friends. I can also see Mary Magdalene, as many of the women are also still with Jesus. She's replaying how so many different people labeled her because of her sin and what she did, but Jesus Christ graciously accepted her when she knelt at his, knee, at his feet to wash his feet. I can see all these different things as they're looking back, but I can also see, too, they're thinking about all these different things, but what now? This completed plan is great, that's amazing, but what's next? What now? And there's a little bit of confusion that you can kind of feel in this passage. 
what, what now? Well, let's jump back in. You can see in verse four, it kind of tells them what's coming up next. Verse four says this, and while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he has said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, he asked them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the season the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you'll receive power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First we saw this completed plan. Now we see a coming person and purpose. That's what's coming up next, is this coming person, the Holy Spirit who was promised to them. They don't exactly know what's going on with the Holy Spirit. Who is he talking about and what does this mean? Because they jump straight to, oh, are you coming to take back Israel and will no longer be under Roman rule? And he's like, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing it. And he goes right back to the Holy Spirit. This coming person is going to empower you to be on mission, to be witnesses to the world. This promise we also see in Luke 24, 49, that the Holy Spirit is promised to them. John 16, 7 was another conversation about the Holy Spirit as Christ says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is telling them it's going to get better when the Holy Spirit comes. Things are going to be awesome with the Holy Spirit empowering you to be on mission. Now, we could spend a whole lot more time there, but we are going to pause there and save that for next week. Pastor Mike is going to look at the Holy Spirit. They still don't really know exactly what's going on. They start to get a picture in Acts 2. Come next week as we celebrate mothers and the birth of the church. Like, I don't know how those go together with the Holy Spirit coming in, but come next week. We'll see how Mike puts the pieces together. That is next week. But let's go back to verse 8. Again, it says there, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's almost as if this verse is kind of like an outline of the whole book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's verse 2. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, that's the next part of Acts, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, that's kind of the end of Acts. And that's also where we're going in the next few weeks. Jerusalem was actually in this region of Judea. Just outside of that region, the next region over is Samaria. And then the uttermost parts there. So you can see this mission starts at home and just has this ripple effect to keep going on. This is a mission you and I are also a part of. What an exciting thing that we get to be a part of. How awesome is that that we get to do this? And I can see his, his followers just excited, pumped and curious, what is this all about? But at the same time, if you look in Acts, it says, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Both of those are in the future tense. This is something down the road. I can see them just kind of sitting there, but what now? What are we supposed to do? What what now? In the meantime, it says, uh, in a few days, but what now? This confusion is where I see us kind of landing with the disciples. And you can see this in the next verse. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took them out of sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you look into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. 
So you can see, here he is, he's giving this last mission. You are going to be my witnesses to the world. And then he's taken up in the clouds into heaven. And here the followers are watching him, and the cloud covers him, and I can almost see as they're like, is he coming back? Is, is the Holy Spirit coming? Like, what next? And you can see that confusion on their face because of what the angels say, right? The angel, hey guys, why are you looking into heaven? He told you what to do. Get going to Jerusalem. That's what the next message, like that's the next plan, go. So you can see this confusion taking place. This confused place that they're in, and that's the last movement I see in this passage. This confused place. This confusion you also see in verse three. If we go all the way back to verse three, it talks about he rose from the dead and proved himself to different individuals. Why do you need proof? You need proof because you have doubts, right? So you can see they're struggling with this. If you jump over to Luke 24, 41, Jesus shows the nail holes in his hands and his feet, and some people see it and they still doubt. So they're struggling. There's confusion. They don't know exactly what's going on. They don't understand how this is going to work. So what do they do in this confused place? Let's keep reading. It says this, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, Judas and the, uh, the son of James, on all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They don't know exactly what's going to happen, right? They don't know what's coming up next, but they are obedient. They could have chose anxiety. They could have just chose to run away. They could have chose to give up. They could have chose worry, but they're obedient. And there's three ways that I see that they're obedient in this passage. First, they waited. It, it, doesn't, like, it doesn't escape me that we see they went to Jerusalem. They go there and they wait together. <clears throat> Many times that's not our go-to, isn't it? To be patient in confusing times. To just sit back and wait to see what God's going to do. When the blanks are there, we want to fill them in, don't we? When the pieces are all there, we're like, ah, we're going to force this thing together and make some sort of picture out of these puzzle pieces. And we just force it, don't we? Instead of waiting, our impatience, it drives us nuts a little bit sometimes to just not have like all the answers. But what did the, the people do? They wait on the Lord. They wait on the Lord. You can see all throughout scripture how people, diff different people messed up because they tried to force it. If you go to Abraham and Sarah, God promises to make a great nation Israel out of Abraham and Sarah, and he fulfills that promise. But as they're in the meantime waiting, what do they do? They're like, wow, this doesn't make sense. Sarah, you're old. I know Abraham probably got punched for saying that, but Sarah realized it too. I'm old. I, I, how can I have kids at this, this age? Like they don't understand what's going on. So they're trying to put the pieces together and think, maybe if Abraham had another wife, well, that's, no, that's a terrible idea. And you can see the brokenness that takes place in this family as they're trying to force the pieces together. It doesn't make sense. 
Anytime we try to force the pieces, it just gets messy. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts higher than yours. Wait on the Lord. We can trust God through the transition if we wait on the Lord. So they waited on God. Secondly, they also stayed together. They stayed together. As you read this passage, you see all of the disciples are listed. Okay, so Judas Iscariot has already passed on, but outside that, all 11 are right there. And then we see Jesus' family and also some women around them, so they're all there together. In the confusion, do they run? No. In the confusion, do they isolate themselves? No, they stay together. Many times our go-to is to run away from everyone else. I don't have all the, I, I want to see like, I look like I'm put together. I want to look like I have the answers, like I'm in control. So if people see that I'm not in control or I'm just confused, like it's going to look bad on me. So I'm just going to like hide and run away from everyone. No, in the confusion, they stay together. My first year of seminary was a unique year as I'm waiting to get married. I knew at the end of the first year, I was going to get married to Kate. So when that first year was just awkward, it was just the waiting game. <laughs> I remember I had two roommates my first semester, and one got a job, and one transferred to a different school. So I went from two roommates to no roommates. Maybe I was just a really bad roommate, and they wanted to get away from me. I don't know. But it, it, life changed. And so second semester, I'm all by myself in this apartment. I thought, oh, I've got a few months. I can handle this. I lasted one month in the apartment by myself and then moved in with my older brother because I couldn't handle being by myself. Like, it just messed with me. Just to give you an example, there was one evening I was making pizza. Yes, I'm starting out on my own, and I'm going to make one of those little, like, pizzas you stick in the oven, and it pops out just for you. So I, I put it in the oven. The timer goes off. Put the oven mitt on. And I grab the pizza, and I'm, ah! Oh, I realized I, put, I grabbed it with the wrong hand. The oven mitt's over here, and I'm grabbing it, and I just start laughing at myself, because I'm like, that's hilarious. And I'm looking around, there's no one to laugh with. So I called Kate up real quick, um, my fiance, and I said, hey, you would not imagine what I just did. I shared the story with her, and she's in the middle of studying, so my conversation was like one minute, because she's like, well, is, that's funny. Like, what else? That, that's it. Like, that's my whole story. Like, I, I just, it was weird being alone. I'll also say, spiritually, I struggled that year. I'm in Bible classes every day, but I struggled because I was church hopping, trying to find just that, like I'd slide in for church, check that one out, and then I'd slide out. Then I'd slide in over to this church and check that one out. I'm about to get married. I was trying to figure out, do I, do I need to work at a church or do I wait for Kate? And so I just was church hopping and I realized I needed God's people. It's so hard when you're just on your own. We're not designed to be on our own. And I love in the confusion, what happens, they band together. We can trust God through the transition because we have one another. They waited on God, they stayed together, and they prayed together. That's the next one. You see at the very end, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Instead of running away from God or yelling at God or getting mad at God, they run to God because they don't know what's coming up next. God, you're going to do something powerful. I have no idea what this Holy Spirit is or what's going on. You said we're going to be witnesses. We're just going to pray. God, help us out. We don't know what's happening. So they run to God. 
again, I feel like our go-to many times is to run away, to hide. What did Jonah do? Jonah was called to be a prophet to the Ninevites. And he's like, you want me to go tell them about? No, what, what? He's trying to add the pieces together. Like, nope, that doesn't make sense. Me go tell them about your grace? I don't get it. He hops on a boat and runs away. So God wakes him up with a storm and then chucking him out of the boat and getting swallowed by a fish. I think that might do it for me. Like, as he's waking up with this to get back on track to go on mission for God. But his first reaction is to run from God. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is an encouragement to this as well. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your minds and your hearts in Christ Jesus. Run to God. I love this. Everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, Run to God. Pray to God. I don't know what confusion you're dealing with right now, but this has been a couple years of just massive amounts of confusion, hasn't it? COVID has changed a lot of us when it comes to the workplace, and maybe that's your confusion right now. It's like your workplace is a lot different than what it was and you had a plan, you knew this is the, the route that you wanted to take, but now things are just so different. So many people on your staff have moved away or taken other positions or their positions have changed and it's just confusing. Maybe your confusion is you're that high school senior or that junior that's thinking about what are the next steps and you're excited about what's coming up next. And you're applying to different places, excited for these new opportunities, and you're hoping to find acceptance, but you get letter after letter of rejection for scholarships and schools. And what's next? Maybe it is one of those, that, that relationship that you're in. You, you thought this was the direction we're going. I thought we were going to get closer. We have these plans. And all of a sudden, you start drifting apart. And you just... You're kind of sitting there kind of lost. Maybe someone in your family got really sick or even passed away, and now you're trying to pick up the pieces, and you just really don't know what's going on. We want to get on mission, but at the same time, that confusion can be debilitating. I was asked a couple months ago if I would preach this message, and I was excited to be able to preach on May 1st. And then it dawned on me it's May 1st. For you, that might not mean a whole lot. For me and my family, this has been a year of confusion. May 1st, last year, my brother was admitted into OSU Hospital and was there for four months. It was May 1st, the date that he went in. I got the call the day before. And I first want to say thank you. I've shared a little bit about this the last time I was up here. Thank you to those who have texted, who have called, who have reached out and asked for updates like, God's people have been amazing through all of the craziness, whether it's reaching out to cut my grass or to offer to bring a meal over, like God's people have been amazing in the confusion. If you don't know and are wondering what, what exactly happened to your brother, well, my brother um, started to lose feeling in his fingertips and his toes to the point that he was losing ability. He couldn't even walk, and I didn't really think it was that big of a deal at first. He's always been healthy, so I thought this 
we'll figure it out and we'll get some medicine or something like that and he'll be good to go. Well, next thing I know, they're putting him on a ventilator. And this thing was progressing so fast. I remember um, not calling him at first because I, I, I didn't know how serious it was. Finally, when I did call him, I was just talking to my dad and my mom who were kind of talking for him because he, he couldn't talk anymore. That's how bad this got. And I remember sitting down in Pastor Steve Neal's um, office and just bawling, wondering, have I talked to my brother for the last time? Have I heard his voice for the last time? Like, so much confusion. After doing some testing and stuff, they, they decided it was Guillain-Barre syndrome that he had. There was still a lot of confusion, really, what it was, and they were going back and forth with a lot of different things. Guillain-Barre uh, syndrome, really what it is, is the, um, the nerves start attacking the body, and it, it goes to all kinds of different lengths. Some people, it's not too bad. To Justin, it was very severe. And eventually, the body kind of wakes up and the nerves start repairing themselves, but it takes a long to repair. So again, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and we were getting phone calls from my parents almost daily to try to get updates. I remember one day I was getting ready for youth group, and my dad calls and said, the doctors think maybe it's a bacteria that's eating like at the stem of the brain. And I hear this, and I just lost it just sobbed downstairs as I'm getting ready for a youth group. I pull myself together, I'm like, okay, we can do this. We'll get dodgeball going for these middle schoolers and we, will, we can do this. And I remember sharing at the end of youth group, telling the students, please pray for my brother. I, he's really sick and we don't know what it is. And again, just broke down crying. And we have some of the best students ever as they rallied around me, praying for me and saying, we're here for you, Josh. Again, we cannot isolate. We need one another in the confusion. When the doctors finally landed on GBS, they said it was going to get worse before it got better. And I'm thinking, how's it going to get worse? He's on a ventilator. But they weren't wrong. I remember uh, finally getting a chance to see Justin. The left picture was uh, when I finally got to go in the hospital to see Justin. And I'm like, I'm going to be strong. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to do this well. So I go in the hospital, tell, hold his hand, because I so badly just want to say, I, I love you, brother. Keep fighting. I'm fighting with you. I love you. And I remember that the doctor had us, um, had, a, had us come together as a family, and I'm freaking out because I'm thinking, why does the doctor call the family in? Like, I, I don't know what's going on. My brother now is like joking with me, Josh, you were ready to pull the plug on me, weren't you? Like, I'm like, no, I just didn't know what was going on. There was so much confusion. So much that I, I, we just were just trying to make it through. What's going on? My parents, my older brother and I didn't leave Justin alone for months. And he couldn't move and he struggled really to communicate. Especially with the ventilator and everything on, he, he just, he couldn't. So what we did is we had this board and he would kind of like blink or click if it was the right letter of that row. And we'd go down. That's how we communicated to Justin. And I remember trying to communicate to doctors as Justin has different questions. Like the confusion was all over the place. And different doctors are coming in with different opinions as to what's going on and what the outlook is going to be. And they kept saying, we don't know how long it's going to be. We just have to wait. 
And in the midst of that moment, my, my family, we grew close to one another because we just had to rely on one another. We stayed together, we waited on God, and we prayed together. One verse that stuck out for us as a family was Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, all the questions aren't completely answered. If you saw that picture again, that's Justin um, going back to visit the hospital staff just to thank them for taking such good care of him. Um, he is actually this morning singing at my parents' church, um, which is just kind of cool. But uh, he's still trying to figure out what all is going on a year later. He still has physical therapy. He would say he's probably about 95% back. For that, we praise God and are just thankful for how God is working. But it's been one of those where there's just, the whole year was confusion. But God led us through the confusion and took care of us through the confusion. One moment that I'll always carry with me was when I was with my brother in the hospital. Um, I picked up guitar to try to help out our students on Wednesdays. So I've been practicing, and honestly, God knew I needed to practice some of these worship songs more than I knew I needed to practice some of these worship songs for me. Um, but I was practicing at home, and, and Hudson, my four-year-old, was going to come sing along with me. And so I wanted to show Justin a video that I had taken of the two of us singing together. The song was Yes, I Will. Now, when Hudson's singing it, all he really has down is Yes, I Will. He sings those confidently and just strong. Yes, I will. <laughs> yes, I will. Like, that's all he has of the song. So it was a very comical video as I'm, I'm trying to play and also not laugh. Like, that's how we're going with this. But I remember showing that to Justin, and Justin has a message for me. So I get the board out. He says, worship music. So I play this song again, but vertical worship, singing it this time. And the lyrics go like this. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Oh, yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy for all my days. Oh, yes, I will. The song is playing, and I can see Justin closes his eyes, and he starts to sing along with it. There's not really sound coming out, but I could just see as he closes his eyes and is singing, yes, I will. For all my days, oh, yes, I will praise you, God. Even in the lowest valley, I will praise you, God. In the confusion, how does that happen? How do people do that? How can you have the strength for that? How did we start the passage with Jesus' death and resurrection? That's how we can do this in the confusion. So losing that spouse as we're trying to pick up the pieces together, how can we do that? Because of what Jesus Christ did. When we're sitting there with this, finding out we lost this job, how can we do that? Because the Holy Spirit is in us, empowering us to be on mission. That's how we can handle some of these. God never lets us down. He will always be there. Oh, yes, he will. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center.